This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You're listening to the Tennis.com Podcast, and here's your host, Ed McGrogan. It's Monday, November 14th, Tennis.com Podcast here from New York. I'm Ed McGrogan, here with Peter Bodo, Richard Pagliaro, and we'll be discussing the just-concluded Paris Masters and the upcoming World Tour Finals in London, uh, taking the, the channel from, from there to there, and that will officially wrap up the tour season. Um, Davis Cup final will be the last uh, vast vestige of tennis, but uh, the big events, you know, what's happened just this past weekend and what's coming up here. So when you look at the Paris Masters and the semifinals, the three main players that uh, come to mind are Federer, the champion, you have Sanga, the finalist, the runner-up, John Isner, the surprise semifinalist, and I think all three of these players we can get into here, they're all, I think, in different expectations, parts of their careers, and I'm, I'm wondering kind of, uh, you know, what this tournament really signifies for each of them. Um, start with Federer, the, the winner here, who um, saving his best for last this year and still showing Masters winning potential at age 30. So what do you guys think about this, this win, sort of uh, out of, kind of out of a nowhere win when you consider what he had done before these past two weeks? You know, it brings, it to, brings to mind some old cliche or other to the effect of, you know, never write off a champion. That's, you know, that's kind of really, I think, what you're talking about here. And, and, you know, and Federer, let's face it, he was kind of written off and he did a little bit of the writing himself. You know, he had, especially those last two majors, you know, Wimbledon, he's two sets down at Sanga, irony of ironies, a very guy he beats to rescue his reputation now. And then he lets the guy win the match at Wimbledon, of all places. That's heretical. And then at the U.S. Open, of course, two match points on his own serve. Djokovic gets through it. So, you know, you know, everyone's thinking, well, maybe he really is done. Maybe this is it for Federer. But, you know, you just a guy like that, you can't write him off. I think he's in a great position to win this thing. For London, you mean? Yes. Yeah. yeah it, he, I think many people would call him the favorite at this point, actually. With uh, We'll get to that term in a bit. But you're right about the two losses for for Federer, they're just basically movie script type stuff that you would never even imagine, really. And uh, but you're right; the stars seem to be uh, not aligned for Federer almost this whole year in the biggest portions, aside from the French Open. And then um, he comes through here and wins this without losing a set, too. It looked really great doing it. Hey, so. ten month title drought, Rich. I mean, you know, I mean, you look and you say the guy won the first tournament he played this year, and then he, you know, sort of vanished at least from the winner's circle. And I look at it like things broke well for him in Basel with Djokovic pulling out and, and Murray pulling out. And then it sort of gave him a little momentum going into Paris where they love him in France. So you're going from the home crowd embracing you to going to Paris where he's almost treated like a second son. And he, you know, he played real, real well. Obviously, the Burditch match, he was so sharp. And the first set against Sanga as well. Yeah, I really wonder with Federer. Um... You know, the, the World Tour Finals are never going to be treated like a slam, but if Federer is drawn 
um, against the guys he didn't have to play, the main competitors at this point with him, the Rafas, the Djokovic's, of course. Um, we don't really know about the, you know, what motivation those guys have at this point, their health or whatever. So I, I guess I do wonder, I guess, what it all speaks to Federer. If it doesn't, I guess it really doesn't have to speak to anything at this point in his career. He had a good quote I was reading. He says, uh, basically, I'm not playing to prove to anybody anything anymore. And I think that's, uh, that's entirely fair with what he did. And, you know, he won the World Tour Finals last year, and this is what happened this year. So and that gives him a huge edge because, you know, like, like you say, you look, he, the guy's playing with, by different standards. Yeah. It's like he doesn't need to win. He didn't need to win. it. Everyone's saying he didn't win a tournament for 10 months. True enough. And, yeah, we could read all kinds of stuff into that much of a valley. But the point is he didn't need to win a tournament in 10 months. It's not like he said, well, I've, I've blown another year of my career. Like some of these guys we, whose names we won't mention at the moment, you know. Right. I mean, so, you know, he's, he's you know, that makes him particularly dangerous because all he's got to do is catch a puff of breeze, you know. He gets, you know, he gets a little, gets feeling a little confident, gets a little spring in his step, and and we know the guy's been there. He's done everything, so he's not going to like, you know, he's not going to choke in the semifinals against some guy or anything like that. So it's, uh, you know, he's he's a very very dangerous sort of a free radical. Right. And the other thing with Federer, to me, we we sometimes gloss over, but I think his serve, I'd still take his serve over the top four over any of those guys when he's on, when he's serving on. And the question is, can he? Deal with the return to the backhand in those best of five set grand slams when Rafa's spinning the ball high to his backhand or Djokovic is getting the ball. Can he do that in a best of five set match against those elite guys? If he can, he's still right there. You know? It does seem like when we end up in Australia and and really not too long, it's going to kind of be the same story as we as we wrote last year at this time about Federer's viability is still a, a still a grand slam champion winning player here. So but you see it's funny for me I think I think that's going to be tough for him a little bit the, like the Australian the grand slam proposition I think is going to be tough for him. I'm not, certainly not saying he can't win one. In fact, I think he probably will win one more in his, in his career as kind of a parting shot a la Sampras. But, you know, the thing is, it's a two-week tournament. You've got to be on your game the whole time. You know, you've really got to keep your interest up. And you see what happens with these guys, these great players when they get older, is that they, even if they play two or three great matches, it comes at that, four, that, that third-round match or that fourth-round match, and they just sort of they sort of disappear, kind of. You know, it just you know the mo- motivation isn't the same anymore. The energy is not the same anymore, and they have a little lapse, and that's it. And sustaining. I remember Connors told us at the end of his career, it's not even the match itself. It's sometimes recovering between matches, where you know you're over thirty now, your body just isn't as resilient when you come back the next day. So sometimes it's that recovery. But you know, he he looked real sharp. Yeah, I was going to say, is, is, is the Masters format actually sort of um, a better format for Roger at this stage because he, um, you know, maybe can sort of sustain though. You know, he gets on like you're saying, getting on this little tear, and 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 really, it's. It, the Masters way, it's one match after another, practically no rest in between. Maybe that's actually, you know, a benefit. And the indoor stage. conditions, he can play quicker mm-hmm. points and shorten things up if, if he chooses. And he did that at times coming in a little bit. Hey, it's heresy, but I'm sorry. But, the, you know, the, the Ron Robinson is an exhibition format. You know, tennis is played on a on a knockout draw. And that's part of the craziness of tennis. And part of the craziness of the Grand Slams is that these guys essentially have to play a qualifying tournament the first week. And then if they survive, they play the real tournament the second week. That's all very spooky stuff. It calls for a lot of, you know, calls for cool nerve, a lot of stamina, kind of focus, you know, stick-to-itiveness. Whereas, you know, the round robin, you get the free pass, you can lose a match and stuff. So it really is an exhibition format. doesn't mean it doesn't, it's not valid or, or the result isn't valid, but let's face it, that's what it is. It's yeah, the the best match of one of the best matches certainly of Paris was the semifinal between Song and Isner. Um, 
this was a match I wrote about after where Sanga advanced to the semis after Djokovic withdrew from the tournament, and he ends up getting uh, he would end up playing. Isner or Ferrer, who were playing the final um, quarterfinal of the day on Friday. So, for all the world, it, this this appeared on face value, I think, to be a really simple, in a, in a way, match for Sanga. He has the home crowd, of course, and that's not what happened at all. He ended up saving three match points against Isner, all on the 6 5 game that he was serving. Um, I don't think Isner would have missed three match points if he was serving in, on any of on you know, with those three. Um, Song ends up getting to the final, gets beaten by Federer. But these two players, this is what I was talking about earlier about different expectations in their careers. I think we're waiting to see whether Isner um, kind of elevates himself up possibly to these Marty Fish slash Andy Roddick levels of a uh, top 10 American, possibly the best American next year. I think those questions are, you know can be discussed at this point. And then Songa, we always wonder, I think the slams where it will tell it if is he a player who is, you know, on par with these top, top, top tier levels? So, let's talk about Isner and Sanga going forward. Whoever wants to start, have at it. Well, they're very similar players, which I think you know, uh, they, you know, both of them sort of fade in, fade out. You know, they've neither of them is, you know, neither of them has has kind of taken that traditional approach where they, you know, start early, get a couple of wins, they ramp up, you know, then whatever happens, injuries or new guys who come along who are stronger. You know, both these guys, they're a little bit coy. I was, you know, want to reach for the word coy. You know, you know, Isner basically stayed in college. He's a very laid back guy. I don't think he felt, I don't, I don't think he felt obliged to do anything. And Sanga, I think, you know, there's questions there about his focus and stick to and really how badly he wants, you know, to be one of the top guys. You, I guess you could ask, like, I think he asked the same question for Isner, too, really. I was seeing even after the match, Gil, Brad Gilbert was saying something about it. It's really still um, just with the fitness for Isner, which I think is a fair point when, when you have that kind of frame and everything and you know what's required. But Isner continues to really impress me. This is two years now he's been essentially in the top 20, um, low top 20s, of course, but uh, – some of the points he was showing against Song in this match, uh, we were talking about it earlier, yeah. Richard, with these, yeah. you know, running backhand stabs that you would not at all expect from someone uh, even close to Isner's size, and he ended up earning a match point off one of them. He didn't play the match points, you know, very well, admittedly, but I mean, just to get to this position is pretty incredible. I agree with you. I think there's more depth to Isner's game that he gets credit for sometimes. Like sometimes on our racket reactions, I'll see the readers, oh, he's just a big server. That's It's like, what are you watching? The guy has beautiful feel around the net. He's a big guy. Obviously, he doesn't move as well as other people. But I think if he can address the return, his return, that first match point, I mean, he just totally put the forehand right into the net. He's got to break a little bit more so his life isn't lived in tie break twilight zone right, right. from here to i don't care how well you serve you're playing that many breakers you know make your life easy sneak out a break rip the he's got a real good forehand i like to see him step in pick a spot and rip it once just once in a while plant the seed mm-hmm. in the opponent's head that you're not going to get away with a with a 95 mile an hour second serve he can't seem to get over that but i think if he can address that yeah, the guy's a threat. Nobody wants to play this guy. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, that's you know, that's that service return is critical. I mean, you know, the other thing with him, I think, though, is he has a genius for keeping it simple. And I think, yeah. you know, he doesn't get out yeah. of his comfort zone. He knows what he does well, yeah. and, and he doesn't yeah. feel like he's got to. He doesn't feel like he's got to overdo it. Some of these guys you watch them, they feel like you know, a guy like Verdasco comes to mind. They feel like they got to prove it all. 
you know, all at one time in a match. You know, they, you know, so they end up overplaying in a sense. They're they're doing more than they need to do, and they're they're getting themselves all you know complicated and stuff. Whereas Isner is, he's got it's a real opportunistic thing. It's like you know he's got a really a real nose for how to win that point and how he's going to do it, and that's what he's interested in. He's not interested in showing that he could hit the top spin yeah, backhand. Yeah. He's not interested in showing that he can rally from the baseline. He's interested in winning the points, and and he knows how he's going to do it. Yeah, I actually should mention that I now to think about it. Gilbert's comment about Isner's fitness kind of falls on deaf ears when you think about what match he played uh, two years ago at Wimbledon. <laughs> but, yeah, and, and I think some of that is his manner. He's a, like Pete said, a laid-back guy. He's a very – and sometimes his shoulders will slump a little. You're like, geez, he's getting tired. And then he'll pull out that running backhand winner down the line. You're like, where did that come from? The guy looked like he was going to stumble walking to get the towel five minutes ago. You know, it, So I think some of it is just his demeanor is – Physically, sort of, he gives you that. He sort of lulls you into that false sense of, oh, he's he's exhausted. And look, it's still tennis, you know. And tennis is not the same as you know marathon running or a lot of the other fitness-based sports. Tennis is not a fitness-based sport. You know, of course, fitness really helps, and it's a great thing to have. But you know, that's not gonna that's not gonna turn you into a top player. Right. You know, it's just gonna make you tougher within within the parameters that you operate in. And when he's hitting his first serve indoors, his service games are pretty brief anyway. So he, you know, yep. maybe. Can, can sort of allocate the energy on the return and when it's a crucial game. You know, it'll be uh, – I don't think it's out of the question that he could end up as, you know, the top American player, but it will be tough. Uh, th- this year I think actually we should – I think could kind of put a little quietness on this bad American tennis culture. We're going to end up with three American men in the top 20. Um, Query should come back next year as well, and you have a lot of – you know, I think a lot actually have pretty good developments this year for American fans. So we'll see where he ends up. Um, It'd be nice for Harrison to make a move Harrison too. as well. Look well, what yeah. Bogomolov has done too. Yeah. yeah, just incredible. Sort of. Yeah, that's. I don't know. If he, I don't know about this American with him now at this point. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Declaring that he wants to play Davis Cup for Russia, you got to wonder. Yeah. Yeah, so. With Americans like that, who needs Russians, right? Better enjoy the Bogomolov angle now while he's still American. Exactly. <laughs> the um, the last thing, the World Tour Finals. The groups haven't been drawn for this yet, um, but we know obviously who's going to be in the tournament, and in the main player, Sanga and Federer will be in there. Uh, Burdich, who is a semifinalist. Fish uh, made his first trip to the year-end championships. And then it's the main ca- main characters, uh, Ferrer also I'll put in there. Uh, the main guys, of course, Nadal, Djokovic, Murray. Um, we haven't seen Nadal in quite a bit, actually. He took off this week in Paris. He hasn't played since um, Asian Swing. He has the Davis Cup final as well coming up. Um, Djokovic, we've is really um this is a whole entirely new part of his year for him this has now been a couple months now where um fitness is such a is such a big influence in what he's done and then Murray who got finally ran to a player he couldn't beat uh Burdich uh this week in Paris so just any thoughts on on these three players with this year-end championships coming up i think a lot of people said that Murray this could be a really you know, a really important stepping stone for him, a term like this since he hasn't won a slam. And then well, we, it's only like the what, 27th time we've heard that. Yes. Yeah, 27th or 8th. Yeah. The guys have become expert at playing when nobody cares. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's he's a wonderful player. He's got a lot of talent, but he's, he's got to step up. It's one of, the, one of these big events. Yeah, so it, it is debatable whether I think people even see this as, as an important one or not, with the slams the ultimate referendum on here, really. And then 
And then Nadal and Djokovic, you really me- you really wonder what this tournament, I guess, matters to them. Nadal has not won it in the past, and Djokovic, I think, uh, is kind of wanting this year to really kind of end. But uh, any thoughts on those two, actually, in particular? Well, for me, you wonder Djokovic's shoulder, if that's a lingering thing or if it was more of a fatigue overuse injury. And then with Fish, obviously the hamstring, is he going to be good to go? Nadal, is, it's a tricky one to figure because he didn't, you know, you lose to Florian Mayer, you lose to Dodig, and... I think it's a confidence thing, but he doesn't. He's not a. He doesn't like indoors. That's his least favorite mm-hmm. surface. Although he's got you know the points to defend from last year, so I'm really really curious to see what he brings, and if he you know sort of went back to the lab with Uncle Tony, try to pull something out here for this tournament because he didn't. When we last saw him, he didn't look confident. I don't think Djokovic finishes his tournament, even if he does start, and, and it's even questionable. I think whether he starts mm-hmm. and. Nadal, I think, is uh, – I'm really curious. I mean, I think Nadal, we don't know what he did after the jet little, as Rich said, sort of a semi-successful Japanese Asian swing. You know, I, I think he either went home disgusted and said, you know, I just want this year to be over. And, yeah, I'll go through the motions. I'll practice and I'll go and play. Davis Cup, yeah, I'll care about that. That'll be big. That's a home on clay, though, in Spain. So it's almost like, you know, he could – he could just walk into that from from anywhere and play, but I mean, I, I almost think I, I almost sense with him there's a, like a deep disgruntlement developing in this guy. You know, he's I think he's tired of the grind. I think he's 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 hurt by what Djokovic did to him this year and how quickly he lost that number one ranking. Maybe you know you don't want to get too armchair psychology about this, but you know the guy just doesn't seem right to me. And this is you know so it's gonna be really interesting to see if he comes and if he comes in and he and, and and he really has a great tournament at the year end championships and you get the sense that you know what he did was he took all this time off and he really said okay i got my last chance this year to get a big title get some revenge on djokovic then all well and good fine but if he doesn't if he goes out he plays sort of lackluster like he has in the past on a few occasions then you just got to wonder if maybe he's just not really just dying to get it over with and maybe start afresh next year yeah we'll see and that's true what your point and you've seen it go both ways with him at the year and you've seen him flame out totally struggle to win a set and you've seen him get to the final before so you really He's gone both ends of the extremes at the year end, so uh, that's why it's so fascinating to see what what he's going to bring. Yeah, yeah, we'll have a lot of that on the site, of course. Uh, Djokovic could end up, in theory, losing as many matches in one tournament as he has this entire year. Actually, if uh, if he chooses, there's a round robin for he you. Chooses <laughs> to play and uh, not perform in the round robin stage. So. We'll be on top of that, of course, tennis.com. Thanks for listening. Ed McGrogan, Pete Boto, Richard Pagliaro. You've been enjoying Tennis.com's weekly podcast. Thanks for listening. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com. 